Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. How you like this weather? Yeah. <laughs> I'm acting like I had something to do with it. I didn't, but, you know, I mean, I just, I like it like everyone. I remember we were uh, interviewing our, our new staff members back in, I think it was like January, February. I'm telling them, it's, it's really awesome here in the summer, you know, and uh, boy, this is, uh, this is, this is delivering for sure. Do you have a, I, you know, do you have a favorite place in Cape Cod? You just love to go, like your place, man. It's like I just that's where I feel. You know, maybe it's serene. Maybe it's like I just love being in that place. I do, man. I've got some. I'm not sure I could narrow it down to one place, but man, those places are, whew, love them. Love them. And do you have people, like like your favorite people in your favorite place? Put those two things together, right? Man. Jesus, it seems, had a favorite place. And I'm not sure I could call them his favorite people, but sort of, they were his, his people, his disciples. And We've been talking about these candid conversations where after the resurrection and before the ascension or in that range, Jesus is having these conversations and they're, uh, they're a bit of a, a, of a revelation to us about what this new world would look like because that's what, that's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's introducing us and his followers to a new world. Now, I know what we tend to think of is that this is like the beginning of the Christian religion, but, but that's a wrong way of thinking of it, right? It's not just, it's not that he was establishing a religion, and in the broadest sense, you could, you could say that, but I think you'd be underselling it. It, it Jesus is, he, he's introduced, he's telling them there's a new world, and I don't mean a new world in the sense that, you know, you, you know, when you have your first child, it's a brand new world. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm literally talking about, he's like, listen, the world changed. When I died on the cross, the world changed. It fundamentally changed, and we are now living in a new world. And that takes some, <laughs> that, that takes some teaching, right? Because it just doesn't naturally roll off of our heads. And so Jesus is, is, is slowly introducing his disciples in this brief period what this new world looks like. And you can see it in the interactions he has with them. And, and in this case, he, he, he travels a bit. Let me, let me read it to you. In John 21, in verse 1, he says, uh, later, Jesus appeared to, again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Now, this is, this is sort of interesting because earlier in his ministry, Jesus had actually told them, like they, they said, after he rises from the dead, he'll meet you in Galilee. Now, now here's, what's, here's what's important. Uh, Galilee is not near Jerusalem. So everything we've been watching so far has happened in the big city, like think Boston, right? It's the, the, I mean, everything is in the hubble. It's the center of the universe, the hub, right? It's the, it's where it's all happening. 
That's where the religious leaders were. That's where the crucifixion, that's where the resurrection, that's where the meeting in the upper room, all that stuff was happening there. But, but Galilee was a long ways from there. It's like 80 miles. It's like, but, but it's where Jesus spent most of ministry. And if you go today, I have a friend who was just visiting there. If you go to Galilee, it's stunning. It's, it's like beautiful. It's like, well, it's like, it's like leaving Boston and coming to Cape Cod. It's about that, just like that, right? It's beautiful. Like you get away and it's natural beauty and, and there's the sea and there's the seaside. And, and it's no wonder Jesus said, hey, we're getting out of this place. Meet me in Galilee. Meet me on Cape Cod. I kind of like that, right? Right? Let's go hang out at our favorite place with our favorite people. Now, the, the rest of what happens is, I think, instructive about this, this new world. It, it gives us hints, uh, clues to what it looks like. So let me read it to you. Uh, verse 2 says, Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Oh, we know him as Doubting Thomas last week. Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, <clears throat> the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And verse 3 says this. It's, it's, it's an interesting aside. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. <laughs> we'll come too, they all said. So they went out in a boat, but they caught nothing all night. You may remember <clears throat> Peter and a good amount of the disciples had formerly been fisher, fishermen. They were, this is their vocation, their their skill. This is what they were good at. And when, when Peter says, I'm going fishing, he's not going back to his hobby. He's not like, I need a break. Uh, you know, the stripers are in, right? I know some of you, as soon as the stripers are in, I won't see you for a month and a half. I'm not hating. I love you. Just bring me some fillets on the side, right? That's not what it's talking about here. This is different. This is, this is my vocation. This is my calling. This is, what I, this is what I used to do before I did this follow Jesus thing. This is what I'm good at. This is how I make a living. This is how I take care of myself. This is how I got here. In other words, I'm going to go back to what I know how to do. Now, I don't I don't think that this is a grand negative gesture. This is him giving up. But there is a sense here at which he's reverting to what he was good at, what had gotten him there. And of course, it says they fished all night and they caught nothing. This is, this is not good if you're a, a fisherman. You're throwing your net over the side and you're pulling it in and it's empty all night. Verse 4 says, At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but his disciples, the disciples couldn't see who he was. And so he called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? That's what you do on the beach, right? You see the guy down there fishing? You see his empty bucket? So you poke him. Yeah, have you caught anything? <laughs> Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. And so they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Of course there were. 
Hmm. Part of the journey, the life of discovery that is Christianity is, is letting go of stuff. In fact, it's a big part, and you're never done with it. You're just, you're just always letting go of what got you here. You see, you won't, you won't discover his way as long as you're doing it your way. It's a fundamental truth, right? This is why God is constantly coming to us and pulling things out of our life because you're not going to discover his way while we're going our way. And, and, and so this is why Jesus is, is coming to us and he's poking us, right? He's, he's prodding us. And how does he do it? He does it with a question. Have you any fish? And Jesus, Jesus does this a lot, right? He, he asks questions. They're probing questions, right? He meets a woman at the well. Can I, can I have a drink of water, right? Because he's about to introduce her to living water. That was the whole point of it. Or the woman who's caught in the act of adultery. What does he say to her? He says, where are your accusers, right? Because he's about to show her he's different. Or, or to his disciples when they're faced with crowds of thousands of people and they say they're hungry and Jesus says to them, how much bread do you have? Jesus uses questions, and, and, and here's what he often does with, with questions, and I, I think this is, this is revealing and important. Jesus uses questions to, to, to kind of prop up our way versus his way. Like, like let, I just want, let me pose a question to you so you can compare the way you've been living your life to the way I'm calling you to live your life. How's the fishing going? How's that working out for you? How's that life? See, this is Jesus' plan. He takes the, the, the beauty of what he's offering and he just, it's, it's, a, it's the best form of preaching. He takes the beauty of it and he, he sets it up and he says, there, that's what I'm offering. Compare it to what you have. And then make a decision. Do you, do you want to give that up? Boys, do you really want to go back to fishing? Do you want to live your life that way for those people? In every case, it's the beauty of what he's offering compared to our way. And, and this is why the, the Christian life is often a life of, of releasing things, of letting things go. About five or six years ago, uh, we did some renovations uh, to our home. We were just, you know how renovations start? Like, let's just paint the living room, right? That's how it starts. That's not how it ends, is it? We brought in uh, a friend who's a painter, and we're like, we want to like, like paint this, and maybe that. Yeah, yeah, that too. And then, and then he said, oh, let's see, we could do this, we could do this. And hey, hey, if you're going to paint the kitchen, what about the cabinets? Those aren't going to go. You should paint those too. We're like, oh, that's a brilliant idea. 
That would look so amazing. Yeah, 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 paint the cabinets too. And then somewhere along the line, we're like, the floors do not look great. It's been, it's been 15 years, and jeez, you know what I mean? Let's do the floors over, it needs it. But somewhere you have to draw the line, right? It's usually a budget line. And we drew the line at the bedrooms. Why? Because you can close the door. <laughs> Ain't nobody looking in there. Look at this beautiful place. Don't look in that room. <laughs> we have one bedroom, in fact, that I'm thinking of in particular. I have one of my, one of my children in their youth decided, I'm not going to say who it is, but it's a boy, um, <laughs> decided, <laughs> I won't be able to do that in the next service when he's here. <laughs> Um, he decided he wanted a red bedroom. I'm like talking like, like crimson red. It was a, a, a youthful indiscretion. I mean, just, I mean, that'll turn a child angry. Thank, by God's grace, he's not an angry child, but it's a red, it's like red, red room, right? I mean, just red. And I haven't changed it. I keep telling myself, I should paint that room, but then I close the door. <laughs> and you've got stuff in your life that's like that, like, Ah, just close that door. I'm just, uh, Jesus, you can redo all of this, but not this. That's too much. It's too hard. It's too costly. And the way of Jesus is to come in and say, this is what I'm offering. Look how beautiful it is. If you want to trade. I mean, that's, what, that's what the Christian life often comes down to. It's a, a surrender to his way. And that's why for, for many of us, the, the journey is often these intersections where there's something old I'm holding on to. And he's asking me to let it go. And, and I think that's a good description of the kingdom. It's the, the discovering of what Jesus is holding up as his way and us surrendering our way to his way. So maybe the place to begin is to ask, what is the something old you're, you're holding on to? Now, all of this is only possible if we see Jesus, right? We have to, I mean, they're... they're, they're He's on the seashore, and he's calling to them. They don't, they don't know it's him yet. And I, so I want to I, I talk a little bit about what it looks like to see Jesus and, and kind of expand on that idea, because I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an important part of, of kingdom work, is like how you see Jesus. And this, this passage gives some beautiful little hints to it. We go to the next verse. Verse 7 says, Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord! Well, it was the clue, the fish. Like, they'd seen this act before. Like, if you're familiar with the New Testament story, you know this sort of thing has happened before where they're out fishing and there's nothing and the Lord says, Throw your nets on the other side. And they're like... <coughs> I'm like, Lord, we've been fishing all night and there's nothing over there. Nevertheless, that your word will do it. This had already happened and they had seen what happened and they do it again. And as soon as they do it again, they're like, it's him, it's him, it's him, it's the Lord. It's not the first time he's appeared to them, by the way. 
But they, they're, this, they're, they're excited. It's the Lord. And when, <clears throat> I love this piece. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunics, for he had stripped for work, and he jumped into the water and headed to shore. There, uh, it, it says that the, the other stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were just about 100 yards from shore. They were just, they were close. But Peter jumps in. Now, mind you, <laughs> this, is, I'm, this, is, this is not Bible. This is Ben, okay? But here's, I, here's my, like, my, my sense of this passage is, remember, Peter in the storm, there's a lot of stories that happen in storms. There's the fish and they, they load up the, but there was the one where they were, they were asleep in the boat on the storm and Jesus had told them to go to the other side. And then Jesus is coming on the water and Peter says, if it's you, let me come to you. And Peter jumps out and walks on the water. Remember that? He walked on the water for a little bit and then he sunk and God rescued him. And now I, I just kind of look at this and Peter's like, round two. <laughs> I got a hundred yards, folks. I am running on the water. And he's like, I am in, man. And he jumps and you don't, he's not, he's swimming. (laughs) Jesus is like, yeah, I did that once. I'm not doing it again. (laughs) That was fun last time, Peter, but you're pretty good at swimming. Keep that, keep that up. And he gets, he's, it doesn't just diminish his enthusiasm. He gets there and he's helping them load in the fish and Here's verse 11 says it this way. So Simon Peter, he went, he went aboard. So he jumps back in the boat. They're like, hey, hey, get over here and help us, right? And he dragged the net to shore. And there were 153 large fish. And yet the net hadn't torn. I love that oddly specific number, don't you? 153. You're like, what is the spiritual significance? There's none. But clearly someone was counting right? Someone was like, man, that's a lot of fish. How many is that? Those are big fish. They're counting it up. Those fish are dollars, right? It's oddly specific. They're, they're counting, and they're, they're, they're encountering this, this new world. And, hmm. There's a few things in this passage, I think, that are, are helpful when it comes to seeing Jesus. And in verse 9, there's this one. Here's what it says. When they got there, talking about to the shore, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Did you catch that? I, I, I think I'd, I'd missed that somewhere along the line. Breakfast was waiting. <laughs> In other words, Jesus didn't need their fish. I guess I'd always just taken it that they got to shore and he said, hey, let's fillet some of those up. <laughs> Jesus like, nah, keep your fish. I got fish. Where'd you get fish? I got fish. Cooking breakfast. I love that picture. It's a good reminder, Jesus doesn't need your fish. There's this this odd dynamic that happens in the Christian life, in the kingdom world that we are living in, that, that God invites us to use our gifts, our skills, our talents, our abilities, our time, our resources, our riches. He invites all of it to be put to use for his kingdom. But none of that 
None of it is responsible for the work of God. He invites us to use it. But the work of God in this world and around you doesn't rely on you. It's very hard to, to imagine because I, I want to imagine it's up to me. Get yourself out there. Get fishing. Do something, anything. God helps those who help themselves. Isn't that in the Bible? No, it's not. I mean, he, he wants to use you, and he, he puts you to work in his kingdom, and, and he gives you gifts and talents, but the, 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 the harvest, the result, the reward, it's, it's his. And this is one of the hardest things for us to come to grips with, that, that as much as he invites me to be a part of his work, it doesn't depend on me. He doesn't, his work doesn't demand that I be everything and all things. And sometimes he lets me go through a long, dark night of emptiness just to remind me it's him. You ever been through a long, dark night of emptiness? Just, God, where are you at? And sometimes, I, I don't know, like sometimes it, it, it's like he orchestrates it. I don't know how he orchestrated it with the fish, like he had a little fish meeting. Hey, everybody, come together. Don't hang out on the left side of the boat. Just go, It's safe on the right side of the boat until it's not. Just go, go over, like, like, God allows, prompts, uses, Long, dark nights. And sometimes nights turn into weeks, turns into months, and even years to remind me that it's not me. It's him. And if you find yourself in one of those long, dark nights, just keep your eye on the shore. Watch for dawn because Jesus is not done. That's the, that's the promise of the kingdom, that his work in us and through us is not done just because we go through a long season of emptiness. There's something else in this passage, and I think it's an important. I was talking to some of our, our volunteers this morning about this. Um, in verse 12, it says, Jesus said to them, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Um, so this is another one of those instances early on in the resurrection as Jesus is appearing to people that he doesn't appear exactly as he had appeared before, that there's, there's, something, that's, that's a, there's something of a mystery to it. and We don't, we don't fully understand it, but they, they knew it was Jesus, but they're afraid to ask about the distinctions and the uniquenesses of it, and, but they knew it was Jesus. And he's alive. 
and he's well. And that's what I want to say here. He's alive and he's well. Like Jesus was literally physically alive and well. He had been resurrected. He was physically resurrected. He was physically alive. He physically talked with them. He physically made fish and bread for them. He physically ate with them. And he physically would ascend to heaven. See, we, we, we sort of dismiss the physicality of it. I just want to encourage you. I just want to invite you for a moment to step out of kind of the, the routine that we're used to. And I know you're used to it because I'm used to it. And it's hard for me to imagine that Jesus Christ is today physically alive. Physically alive. A body. A physical body. He was resurrected. He's not... He's not a ghost like we think of it as a ghost. He's not a ghost, right? He's not a, he's not a good feeling that exists in our mind as a figment of our imagination. And if you learn enough about him from the pages of scripture, he'll become realer and realer. That's not what I mean. I mean that Jesus is physically alive. And when it says he ascended to heaven, it doesn't mean that he like jetted off somewhere behind the moon. It's not, that's not what it's like physically. We think of like, oh, it's, it's out there. But, but a better way to understand it and just, just hang with me here for a moment. A better way to understand it might be to understand that his kingdom is an alternate kingdom, an alternate world, an alternate universe to this universe. Now we're like, whoa, science fiction. Actually, science is starting to figure this out, but it shouldn't be a surprise to us us or to the disciples that his ways are above our ways that the God and creator of the universe could exist physically in a world in a kingdom that is separate from ours but intersects at places and I think it's important for us just to just to step back and to be reminded that Jesus is physically resurrected and alive and well not a ghost, not a figment of your imagination, not a good idea. He's alive and he's well. And he's present with us even though we can't see him. That sounds so, like, how do you wrap your head around that? Well, you don't physically. Imagine if it were today, I was telling somebody earlier this morning this. Imagine if you went back uh, five, just 500 years. Go back 500 years, like, you know, 1,500 or something like that, AD, with an iPhone. Like, like pictures, talking to people, FaceTime. They would burn you as a witch. Like, what kind of sorcery is this? This is... It, it, the, the technology doesn't... It's, it's like it's, it's like magic. It's like we don't understand it. Is it any wonder that God's kingdom is, is above and beyond our kingdom and to us in some ways uh, not understandable? And we're like, we can't even put it all together. Like, how is he physically alive and with us in a kingdom that we can't see but is yet present with us? But that's what he's saying. And it's so important because the Christian life is living life in his presence, aware of his presence. And part of the reason... We come together in gatherings like this in worship and in the opening of the word is to be reminded of his presence with us because it's so easy to run through the week in our physical lives of hurry and busyness 
and miss his real presence with us. There's one uh, last thing. In this passage, and I, I'm going to confess I'm a fan of, it says, verse 13, it says, then Jesus served them the bread and the fish, <laughs> breakfast. It says, this is the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Jesus served them bread and fish, breakfast. I love breakfast. Anybody else love breakfast? I love breakfast. I love dinner, too. I can skip lunch. I'm good with that. I'm like, you know, I just want, there's, there's line. But I love, I mean, just, I love breakfast. And here's Jesus serving breakfast. He had endured the cross. Disciples abandoned him. Left to his own. Fights the forces of evil. Rises from the grave has to go find his disciples. And what does he do? He serves him breakfast. That may tell you everything you need to know about Jesus. Breakfast. I love breakfast. So I, we went out to, this is, this is like nothing spiritual about this, my favorite restaurant place. They have, I can never decide whether to go like sweet or savory, you know what I mean? Like, Sometimes you want to do both, but that feels like, you know, unfair. So this restaurant, my favorite breakfast restaurant, which is so busy, I'm not going to tell you what it is. Um, they have cinnamon buns. They turn into French toast. Yeah, it's that good. <laughs> so the other day we were there with some friends, and uh, we were having regular four of us, and uh, uh, we said... Um, she came over to take her. I said, I said, so for an appetizer. <laughs> she's like, what? I'm like, yeah, we're going to do an appetizer for breakfast. Cinnamon bun French toast for breakfast. And we just cut it up four ways and divvied it. It was great, right? Then we, then we got on to the real meal. That's how you get sweet and savory at all the first, the first time. Awesome, isn't it? We're, we're becoming empty nesters. I, I thought that that would be like a hard boom, you're an empty nester, but it turns out it's like a, it's like a 10-year transition or longer. <laughs> it's just like, shh. And I'm actually, I'm not going to lie to you, I should just full confession, I love it that way. I'm like, I mean, there's a part of me that's like, I don't believe it. Sometimes we get the whole clan home and everybody's kind of resting in. It's usually around the holidays. Mom will get up and... Now, no set wake-up time, but she puts the alarm on, the bacon alarm. Start cooking bacon and putting stuff in the oven. I don't even know what she puts in the oven. Whatever it is, it smells good, and the smell just, just fills the house. Wake everybody up. Man. And she says, hey, breakfast ready, man. People bolting out of their rooms. I imagine... That's a bit of the picture here with Jesus. He makes us breakfast. Let's call it the grace of breakfast. Grace of breakfast. Here's something I want you to know about Jesus. While you were running away, he was making breakfast. Hmm. When we were at our worst, 
He's making breakfast. When we were too busy for him, he was making breakfast. When we were living our own way, he was making breakfast. When we were rebelling and doing the worst of things, he was making breakfast. You think I'm making too much out of this breakfast? No, 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 no. This is, this is the way of Jesus. In, his, in one of his most famous stories, the story of the prodigal, you remember that? The two prodigals? And when the two prodigals come home, what does he do? One prodigal comes home, the other prodigal never left, but he was just as much of a prodigal. What do you do? He makes supper. So Jesus loved supper too. He like, it, was a, it was like steak, steak for supper, kill the fatted calf, cow. It's like, it was ready, man, let's have a party. Like it's the grace of, there's an image here, there's a picture here. It's not, it's not so much about the food, but it's not bad that it's about the food. But the, 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 the picture here is, is the grace of serving. It's how, it's how God wins you over. In fact, in, in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. So he's knocking at your heart. If any of you answer, open the door. What does he say next? I will come in. And then it says, and I'll dine with you. That's how, that's how, he, that's how he envisions this, this whole beautiful picture of salvation. I, I'm going to come in and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you. I'm going to fellowship with you. I'm going to dine with you. We're going we're gonna to be together. We're going to break bread together. We're going to live together. This is the picture. When we were running away, he was making breakfast. It's the aroma of bacon. If you don't like bacon, then, you know, cornbread muffins or you know, whatever it is, it's the aroma of that coming up and it, and it wakes us up and it draws us to him. And I, and, and I hope you see we're not talking about food here. We're talking about the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God poured out in our lives. And while we were running this way, he was preparing something for us over here and calling us, beckoning us to it and saying, listen, I know you're running now, but when you're done running, I got breakfast. I've got grace. I've got forgiveness. I've got a place for you. Goodness. Who doesn't want to wake up in that house? That's Jesus. And that's what he's inviting us to. And I can't finish a message like this without saying this. Listen, if you're, if you're here and you're like, I've been on the fence about Jesus. And maybe the reason you're on the fence is you've got a red room and you like it. And you haven't been willing to surrender it. And he's been knocking at that door, knocking at that door. Listen, I'm just telling you, man, he's, while you were running away, he was making breakfast. And if that kind of Savior, that kind of Jesus who would give everything for you, and then when he's done giving everything, make you breakfast, whew. come to him. Give your life to him. And if you're here and you've embraced Christ, you've opened the door and you've welcomed him in, welcomed him in and you've let him renovate your house, but not all of it. 
You decided the cost was too much for those rooms upstairs. And maybe this moment is just a moment inviting you to surrender to him. That's what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom looks like progressively surrendering my life to him. You say, when is that over? I don't know. I haven't found the end yet. I find I'm still surrendering things to him to become more like him, to walk with him. And he's worth it. He's worth it. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed, our, our eyes are closed. Just for the moment is, uh, is, is private and quiet. And... Maybe you need these moments just to surrender a, a, <laughs> a red room. This is your moment. But maybe you're here and you've not opened the door yet of your life to Jesus. Cost too much. Not sure what he wants from me. But in this moment, in this passage, you see who Jesus is and what he's offering. And in many ways, he's saying, this is my way. You'll have to let go of your way to have it. But it's worth it. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus, to say yes to him, I would just invite you in the quiet of this moment to do just that. Just a quiet prayer of faith that literally changes the course of our life. You might pray something like this, Dear God, you know everything about me. Every time I've walked away, and every time I've rebelled, every secret, every sin, everything I've stuffed down deep, the things people know and the things I hope they'll never know. Jesus, I confess it all. I accept the forgiveness you offer to me on the cross. I believe in you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to live my life fully for you. So I open the door and I say yes, Jesus Christ, to your gift of salvation. In Jesus' name.